get quiet on me like that. Stop that. <laughs> uh, good to see you all this morning. God bless you. We uh, want to welcome our uh, online audience, our friends and family who are, are viewing wherever they are. Uh, we hope that uh, this will be a worshipful experience for you, and we invite you to weigh in. Let us know that you're out there. Uh, this is my son Chase's birthday today, and I know the, the grandkids have been watching on Sundays, so happy birthday, Chase. Um, the card's in the mail. Uh, <laughs> no check, but a nice card. So... Hope your week was good, everybody. Uh, this was a good week for me. I got to go see my mama this week, uh, way up north and in the Upper Peninsula, and uh, uh, she's doing good. So uh, I don't think she's watching. She doesn't have a, a computer or a smartphone, so uh, maybe if y'all yell, hey, mama, really loud, uh, she'll... I don't know, pick it up on our frequency or something. But we're glad that you're here. We want to worship God today in a way that pleases Him, and I hope that's why you're here. Before we get there, I want to uh, announce a couple of things. And uh, one of them is not in the bulletin, but uh, they're, they're going to give a, uh, make an attempt at church softball again this spring, and so uh, we need to know if we have enough players to field a team. So uh, Latasha is sitting right there. Wave your arm like a crazy woman, Tasha. All right, there's Latasha. Let her know. We should get a sign-up sheet for next Sunday maybe, but she needs to know if anybody's interested in playing church softball. So uh, let her know, and... Uh, Oh, what else do we have? We wanted to announce that uh, our special 30 pieces of silver offering uh, that we took up last Sunday for the Christian Holy Land Foundation came to a little more than $1,500. It's in your bulletin there, but praise God for that because uh, that's a great work that they're doing uh, over there in the Middle East and... Uh, Really uh, enjoyed the video that they were able to send, uh, send to kind of illustrate the work for us. So we appreciate all who contributed to that, and especially we want to thank God for using us 
want to remind you that we have a, a Monday afternoon online prayer service, so uh, check that out. Uh, I don't know how you get to it. Don't ask me, but uh, it's on, uh, what's it on? Facebook Live? Is that what it's on? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, I love having people comment and let me know that they're out there. It encourages me. So, uh, yeah, that's, oh, yes, Megan has an announcement. If you can get me your schedule so I can make a master copy for the church. Um, I have a lot of people asking, like, whose kids are where and whatever so that they can go watch. Um, if you could get that to me, I would appreciate it. And if you don't know how to get it to her because you're not well acquainted with Megan, you can just drop it by the office or give me a call and I'll come to your house and get it from you. Who's not you. acquainted with me? <laughs> Nobody knows you, Megan. Well, God knows you. All right. Let's go uh, to the Lord and invite him to be here with us as we worship. Holy God in heaven, we give you all praise. You are such a good and loving God. And Lord, we know that it was out of your love that you sent your son Jesus. And he is our everything. Lord, we wear his name as Christians. This church wears his name because this church belongs to him. And, and we want to declare that with no shame, God. So, Lord, help us to stand on your word and, and to see ourselves as under your wings. Lord, thank you for being here with us today. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing to the... To the God whose love never fails.
too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side, but your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the such a great God. Hallelujah. Precious blood. 
kind of dark in here for that, but that's all right. It's our point in waving time, and this is a, another chance we want to remind you online to go ahead and comment. Let us know that you're here.
2 Peter 3, 10-13 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells.
standing face to face in a moment we'll be like him he will wipe our eyes dry take us up to his side and forever we will be his singing blessing and honor
struck wonder at the mention of your Gary Crottrell tells a story that one day they went to make toast and their toaster wouldn't work. It was kind of frustrating for him because the toaster was only about a month old. So he thought, well, how am I going to fix this? really don't want to send it back. It's kind of a hassle. So he thought, well, maybe I'll go plug it in somewhere else and see if it works. So he takes it and he plugs it in somewhere else. Guess what? It worked. Said, hmm, problem solved. Oh, wait. I must have a more serious problem. 
I'll try plugging something else in that outlet where the toaster used to be plugged in and see if it works. Guess what? It didn't work. Says, oh, I may have to call an electrician having changed this outlet because it doesn't work. But it was kind of late in the day by then, and he decided, I'll deal with it tomorrow. So while he's waking up in the morning, you know how you kind of try to get yourself together first thing in the morning, and maybe everything isn't working quite like it ought to in your mind, but the thought came to him, well, I wonder if I ought to check the circuit breaker and see if that, the reason that outlet doesn't work. So he goes and he checks the circuit breaker. Guess what? It was tripped. So he fixes it and then goes and plugs the toaster back in there. Now it works. And his point is sometimes we try to make things a whole lot more complicated than they really are. We do that in our Christian life. We gotta do this and we gotta do that. We gotta make this happen and we gotta make that happen. And sometimes we forget who it's really all about. Folks, it's too late to do anything. Jesus did it. He did it all. He bought you with his own blood. He suffered and died on that cross because he loved you that much. And guess what? He would have done it if it was only you that was going to respond. That's an amazing thing. You know, there's all kinds of beliefs floating around. You know, all kinds of things being presented as a way to live your life. But there's only one way that goes to God, and that way is Jesus Christ. So each week, we try to honor him with communion and so we take this time out from our service to remember what Jesus did because that's what matters what Jesus did and if you really honor that the other stuff will come naturally all that stuff you worry about if I got to do this right and I got to do that right. Jesus said there's one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He did it. We don't have to do anything except honor what he did. So that's why we're going to take communion now. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the love that you poured out on us, for the willingness to face the hardships, face separation from the Father, for our 
stood in our salvation. So now as we take the bread and the cup, we honor you and remember what you have done. Amen. Bread represents Christ's body broken for you. And the cup represents his shed blood. Several years ago, the self-made millionaire Eugene Land was asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders in a poverty-ravaged school in East Harlem, New York. And he wondered what he could say to inspire these students, most of whom he knew would drop out of school. He wondered how he could get these predominantly black and Puerto Rican kids even to look at him. And so as he stood at the podium, he decided to scrap his notes and to speak from his heart. He said, stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. And at that moment, the lives of many of those students changed. For the first time, they had hope. One student said, I had something to look forward to now, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. And as it turned out, nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. Since then, Eugene Land has implemented a nationwide program that provides full scholarships for students that otherwise would have no hope of ever leaving the ghettos where they lived. Hope to the hopeless. It's like water in the desert. And that's what God was giving to his people when he gave them the prophecies of the coming Messiah. For the next few months, we're going to spend significant time in the Old Testament. And along the way, we're going to catch glimpses of the Messiah in the writings of the prophets. A lot of Christians who don't know the word of God very well think that Jesus is only in the Gospels of the New Testament. But actually, references to his coming are all throughout the Old Testament. He's just not mentioned by name. 
but he's described and he's hinted at. And we're going to look at some of those glimpses of the Messiah in the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Now, for the sake of definition and clarity, you need to understand that when I use the word Messiah, I'm referring to Jesus. Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. And the Greek equivalent of Messiah is the word Christos, from which we get our English word Christ. Jesus Christ is merely another way of saying Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Today we're going to get a glimpse of him in the prophet Isaiah, and we'll be in chapter 40, as it says in your bulletin there. Isaiah began his prophetic ministry around 740 B.C. He prophesied during the last days of the northern ten tribes, just before they were annihilated by the Assyrian army in 722 B.C. Although the southern kingdom of Judah was spared the fate of her cousins to the north, Isaiah also prophesied that Judah's time was coming as well. However, Isaiah informed Judah that her nightmare would come at the hands of the Babylonians, not the Assyrians like their cousins, and not for another century and a half. Yet Isaiah brought not only news of destruction, he also announced a message of hope that the nation, after a time, would be restored. A portion of that message of hope is found in our text today. Read along with me in Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and yet his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. There is good news to be announced. And the messenger who bears this good news is to declare it from the mountaintop. And there were three things in this passage that are to be proclaimed. The first, God is here. God is here. Verse 9 says, say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And that's a reference to the coming of the Messiah in the nation of Judah. Here is your God. The presence of God is with them. And there are at least four times that this presence is manifested to the people. The first was at the return of the exiles. Now, in order to explain the meaning of the exiles, we have to Fast forward over 200 years from when Isaiah spoke these words. Just as he prophesied, around 600 B.C., 
the Babylonians attacked Judah, and they carried off their first wave of captives into exile, their first prisoners of war. And by 586 B.C., the Babylonians have made two more major incursions into Judah and Jerusalem. And they destroyed not only the city, but the temple of God that was located there. And many, many Jews were now taken into exile. While the Jews were held captive by the Babylonians... The Persians rose up, and they became the the big kid, the mean kid on the block, and they conquered the Babylonians. Well, those Persians never really had a problem with the Jews, and so they didn't have a problem with their prisoners of war that they inherited from the Babylonians. They weren't really interested in keeping them as prisoners, and very soon... Cyrus, the king of the Persians, began allowing the Jews to migrate back to their homeland after 70 years of captivity. Isaiah also spoke in other prophecies of the joy that would accompany these exiles when they returned to their homeland and the joy that came with the knowledge that their God was there with them. In Isaiah 52, verses 7 and 8, Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. And they did. They saw God in the land with them as they returned. In Isaiah 62, 11, the prophet says, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. So the return of the exiles, the prisoners of war, to the land of Judah was the first fulfillment of this good news that their God was with them. The second fulfillment of this prophecy came at the revealing of the Lord. And when I talk about the revealing of the Lord, I'm referring to the incarnation the arrival of Jesus Christ on the earth that we celebrate at Christmas. In Matthew chapter 1, we're told how the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary would give birth to the son that they would name Jesus. It says in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And he quotes him. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There it is again. God is here. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14, John tells us, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word is Jesus We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. 
God was here. In 1873, there was a a Belgian Catholic priest named Joseph Damien de Voister. And he was sent to the lepers on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. Of course, back then, Hawaii was not a part of the United States. And when this Catholic priest arrived, he began to meet each of the lepers in that leper colony in hopes of building a friendship with them and and a ministry. Wherever he turned, people shunned him. It seemed as though every door to ministry was closed. He poured his life into his work. He built a chapel and was beginning to hold worship services and pouring his heart out to the lepers, but it was to no avail. Very few came, and no one responded to his ministry. And after 12 years of rejection and failure, Father Damien decided to leave. He made his way to the docks to board a ship that would take him back home to Belgium. And as he stood on the dock, he wrung his hands nervously as he thought about his futile ministry among the lepers. And as he did, he looked down at his hands and he noticed that there were some mysterious white spots on his fingers. And he realized almost immediately what was happening to his body. He had contracted leprosy. He was now a leper. It was at that moment that he knew what he had to do. He returned to the leper colony to do his work, and very quickly the word spread about his disease to the colony. Within a matter of hours, everyone knew, and hundreds of those lepers gathered outside his hut. They understood his pain, his fear, and his uncertainty about the future. But the biggest surprise came the following Sunday as Father Damien arrived at the chapel to hold his morning service. By the time that service began, there was standing room only. Hundreds of worshipers were there. The place was packed with people and many more were gathered outside the chapel. And Father Damien had a long and fruitful ministry because he had become one of them. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus' arrival on earth when he became one of us. That's the fulfillment that we're most concerned with today. But historically, there was fulfillment in two other areas and times. I'll just mention these briefly. The third was at the restoration of Israel. In 1948, the United Nations recognized the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. It had been nearly 1900 years. Imagine 1900 years since Israel was a sovereign nation. Although there had been a handful of Jews living in the land throughout the centuries that intervened, But for 1,800 of those years, the Jews were vastly outnumbered. 
But when Israel was recognized by the United Nations as a sovereign country, those Jews knew that their God was with them. And they could say with confidence, God is here. And the fourth fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40 and verse 9 was that, or will be, at the return of Jesus. Obviously, we're still waiting on that one, but Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. We'll be with the Lord forever. And all who belong to Jesus will know that their God is here with us. And so that's the first thing to be proclaimed from the mountaintops, that God is here. The second proclamation is that God is strong. Look at verse 10 of our text in Isaiah 40. Once again, it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. This is a picture of the almighty God of Israel being revealed to his enemies. If you have your Bibles with you, turn over to Jeremiah 50, which is the book that follows Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Lamentations, I should say. Jeremiah 50, Babylon especially was going to see the strength of the Lord and bear his anger. In Jeremiah 50, verses 33 and 34, the prophet says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will vigorously defend their cause so that he may bring rest to their land, but unrest to those who live in Babylon. And so even though God allowed the Babylonians to be the instrument of God's punishment of his people, they also would be punished for their evil against the people of Judah. God is strong. The prophets continually proclaim the strength of the God of Israel. All the way back to Deuteronomy 4, Moses writes in verses 37 and 38, Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. King David was one of those prophets who talked about the strength of the Lord. In Psalm 59, 16 and 17, 
He said, but I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength, and I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God, in whom I can rely. And again, in, in, in Isaiah, in chapter 12, and verse 2, Isaiah says, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And even the tiny book of Habakkuk in uh, chapter 3 and verse 19 says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And so the strength of God is a familiar theme in the Old Testament prophetic writings. But verse 10 says, his reward is with him. And many people view this verse as referring to the reward the Messiah gives out to those he intends to honor. You know, we get a crown of life. You know, we get a white robe. This verse really refers to the reward that is given to the Messiah. And what is that reward? Yes, we get a, a robe, we get a crown, but Jesus gets a flock. That is his reward. He gets a, a flock of sheep, and that's us, you and me. And that leads us to the third proclamation to be made, and that is that God is gentle. Look at verse 11 of Isaiah 40. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isaiah uses some of the terminology that God uses through King David in Psalm 23. I think Psalm 23 might be the most beloved pastor of scripture or passage of scripture in the Bible. In verses 1 and 2, David describes the gentle, tender love of God for his people. You know how it reads. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing, the New International Version says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. But most people don't know that David wasn't the first to use that shepherd metaphor in reference to God. 800 years earlier, when the patriarch Jacob was on his deathbed, he laid his hands on the two sons of Joseph. And in Genesis 48, 15, and 16, it says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. 
Now, the Jews who all of their lives grew up in the synagogue knew that God was their shepherd because they reverenced Jacob, the patriarch. And they could recite those deathbed blessings that he pronounced on the descendants of each of his sons. And there was no greater hero in Jewish history than King David, who was to follow. You know, in the 1860s, the average man measured five foot six inches. Nowadays, if you're five foot six inches, you're continued to be rather demure as a man. At that time, Abraham Lincoln stood at six feet four inches. He was a giant among the men of his time. But he was a physical anomaly in that sitting, he was no taller than an average man. His height was all in his legs, which sprang from his size 14 shoes. When Lincoln would arrive in a town to make a speech, it's hard for us to imagine this, but people would line up to take turns standing next to the president, up against a wall to compare their height to his. Obviously, we don't do that with presidents anymore. But to this day, no other president has ever measured up to Abraham Lincoln, at least in height. In the Old Testament, every king in Israel's history was compared to King David. Not in height or in size, but in godliness and in character. So when that great hero of the peak of Israel's military power, David, the great king who rose from being a shepherd boy, wrote of the God of Israel being a shepherd over his people in Psalm 23. You better believe that the Jewish people knew that psalm by heart. They knew Psalm 23. So when the prophet Isaiah called the God of Israel a shepherd over his people, it was nothing new. They were familiar with that metaphor. But get this. When Jacob called his God his shepherd, and David called his God his shepherd, and Isaiah called his God Israel's shepherd, it comforted those people. To a people who were in captivity in a foreign land, it let them know that their God had not forsaken them. It let them know that their God, although he was strong, he was gentle. And now fast forward 700 years from the time of Isaiah. Turning your Bibles over to John chapter 10. We're going to read a couple of passages from John 10. By this time, it's three years into the ministry of Jesus. And he has very slowly but surely been making enemies in the religious leadership in Israel. They are jealous of his popularity with the people. He says things to them like, Moses told you this, but I say to you, 
They didn't like that. Moses was the ultimate authority on the law, but Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you this instead. And Jesus had just healed a blind man, and those religious leaders are not happy. He had performed this healing on the Sabbath day, no less. And Jesus makes no apology for working on the Sabbath day. And not only that, when he's confronted by these Pharisees and Sadducees, the authorities, he implies that they are spiritually blind. And he flat out tells them that they're spiritually guilty of sin. In a very in-your-face discourse, look at what he says to these men who are supposed to be the spiritual shepherds of God's people. In John 10, verses 11 through 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, meaning those religious leaders, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must also I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, stay in John 10. But this was a very in-your-face message to these Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, you are blind shepherds. You are guilty shepherds. You're false shepherds, but I'm the good shepherd. I have authority that you don't have because my father has given it to me. And then look at in that same chapter, verses 19 through 20, as they are just seething in their rage against him. It says, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Jesus has just thrown gasoline on what had been a slow burn among these religious leaders. The slow burn has just become a California wildfire as Jesus speaks these words. The winds have picked up and the flames are heading right toward Jesus now. But unlike a catastrophe like that in the western United States, Jesus has this wildfire under control. Listen. When your life looks like it's burning out of control, when it seems like circumstances have carried you off into captivity, 
when the enemy has attacked and it seems like you've lost, understand this. God is here. And God is strong. And while he's strong, he is gentle. And he will prevail in his time. And he never abandons his people. No matter how bad things get, we have a Messiah and he is coming. Now here are a couple things you can do this week if you need hope. You can turn to Psalm 23 in your Bible. You can read it and meditate on it again and again. And remember that you are one of his sheep. It's no accident that Psalm 23 is possibly the most beloved section of the Bible. God wanted to remind each one of us that we have a shepherd. Another thing you can do this week is to listen to praise and worship music. I mean, saturate your mind with the promises that God, God's word gives you through those songs. If you don't have any of that kind of music, call the church office or stop in. We'll let you borrow some. We have tons of it. The sheepfold is in heaven. And we are all a part of that sheepfold. And no sheep can enter the fold without the shepherd. Don't presume too much. Your being in church doesn't make you one of the sheep. Jesus said that there were sheep that were not yet of his flock, and he was talking about the Gentiles of that day, the, the non-Jews of that day. It was his plan to bring all of them into the fold, all who would call upon his name. But that's a, that's a big condition, calling on the, the name of Jesus Christ. And there are many who have gone to church all of their lives, who've read a lot of scripture, maybe even prayed a lot of prayers, but that is not the same as calling upon the name of Jesus to be saved. It's the only name, Peter says, by which we must be saved. And so we want to give you the opportunity today. You may be among those who have attended a lot of church and read a lot of scripture and prayed a lot of prayers and never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. We want to give you the chance to surrender to him today. This could be the day of salvation for you. So as we stand and sing this song, we want to invite you to step into the aisle and come down to the front and our elders will meet with you and pray to receive Jesus. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Giving you my heart and all that is within Lay it all down For the sake of you, my King I'm 
giving you my dreams I'm laying down my rights I'm giving up my pride For the promise of new life Won't you come? And I surrender all to you, all to you. And I surrender all to you, all to you. Almighty God, we, we thank you for all those who have surrendered to your lordship and surrendered under the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that there's salvation in no one else and no other name under heaven. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to always be the living embodiment of Jesus Lord, we fail, we stumble, we err. And we thank you that there is forgiveness available to each one who repents. Lord, we pray that you'd go with us now. We leave this place to go into our communities, out to our jobs, to our families, our extended families, our friends. God, use us. Help people to see Jesus in us. Lord, we pray that when they see us, they would say as the prophet did, God is here, and that we'd be that representation. Go with us now, Lord. Help us to honor your great name. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. Talk to Tasha if you're interested. She's in the basement. Go find her if, you, if you're wanting to play softball this summer with us. Um, what's that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Remember, Monday prayer is tomorrow. All of our online viewers, we appreciate you. Thank you. If you've made a decision for Jesus, let us know, would you? Uh, email the church. Uh, you can call the church. You can call me if you've got my number. I'm not giving it out, but uh, if you have it, you can call me. So uh, God bless you. We're going to sing our closing chorus, and then we'll be dismissed. What a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. All right, God bless you. Have a great week.